on in our series called Jesus Is as we walk through uh, the book of Hebrews. And as we walk through this tonight, we're going to be in chapter 4, finishing out chapter 4, and then getting into chapter 5, probably two-thirds of the way through. So we will, um, we're going to hit a bunch of scripture. Now we're only going to have a few different sections that we're going to stop and really talk about compared to the four or five that we normally do, so we'll be able to spend a little more time on each section. But this is a really important theological passage, and I hope that tonight your understanding of God, your theology, I hope that it transforms into your experience with God. I I pray that um, tonight as we talk about Jesus as our high priest, that we recognize this isn't just for knowledge, but this has a very practical purpose. And I I pray that chains fall off. I pray that uh, tonight some of us would um, just drop the bondage that, that we found ourselves in as we try to work our way to heaven or to be priests for each other or priests in, in our own lives. And I'll talk about what that means here in a minute. I don't, you ever wonder why in the Old Testament we had priests? And then in the New Testament, we see there's priests all over the place, um, not just priests, but also a high priest. In, in the Gospels, Jesus interacted with them. But then after that, when the early church started, we don't have priests anymore, at least in the Christian church. Ever you ever wonder why we don't have them? Well, we're going to talk a lot about that tonight. You see, in the Old Testament, priests played an important role. Now, just so you know, in general, priests were a shadow, a type, foretelling that one day there's going to be something better than just a human priest uh, to connect us to God, and that is Jesus. But in the Old Testament, priests played an important role. You see, they did several things. They would intercede for the people. So there's God who's perfect, and there's man who's sinful, and they can't be around each other. You know what it's like to separate folks who just don't get along. And so priests were God's way of saying, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to designate some folks to go between you and me, and these people are going to intercede for you, so they're going to talk to me on behalf of you. They're going to represent you and then represent me back to you. So it was just a middleman. And then they're also going to offer sacrifices for you. They're going to offer sacrifices for you. Well, we don't need priests, and, I, and listen, I say this, knowing, and I want to I be gentle with this, um, knowing that many, if not familiar, many of us grew up in a Catholic background. In the Midwest, that's just reality. And so I want to be gentle as I talk about this, but I, I want us to get the truth. We don't have a need for priests anymore because Jesus is our great high priest. He fulfilled everything the priests need to do. He intercedes for us. 1 Timothy 2.5 says there's only one mediator between man and God, and that is Jesus Christ. He gives us access to God. Matthew 27.51 says that the veil was torn, so only the high priest could go from the holy place to the holy of holies. And when Jesus died on the cross, it says the veil was torn. And it was representative of the fact that through Jesus and his resurrection and our trust in him, that we have individual access to God. And then Peter, 1 Peter 2, chapter chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, he describes us Christians as a priesthood of all believers, God's chosen people, because we have access to God through Jesus. And so we don't have a need for priests anymore. Some of you are like, well, I think that's what pastors do. Pastors are are shepherds. We're we're not priests. We're going to talk about that. 
tonight. But even though we don't have uh, a need for priests because we have Jesus now, I think all of us desire people to be priests in our lives. We, we all do. We want people to intercede for us. We want people to represent on our behalf. We want people to sacrifice for us. And we find ourselves acting like priests to other people. Now, that'll make sense here in a bit, but just think about it. If someone is in an investigation for a crime and, uh, and the cops are just drilling them, well, what are they likely to say? I'm not going to talk until my lawyer's here. At least the smart ones, right? Because they want someone to intercede. They want someone on their behalf. If, if, you're, uh, if you're back in seventh grade, some of you still, <laughs> never mind. If, if you're back in seventh grade and someone of the opposite sex, man, they are attractive and you'd like to know them. You want a boyfriend, you want a girlfriend, but you don't think you're worthy to go talk to them or what you're going to say is going to come out right. What do you want? You want one of your friends to go over there and do that on your behalf. We, we want people to do these priest-like duties in our lives. I remember when I was little growing up in a one-horse town. Some of you, you came from a small town, so you can relate. You know where there's such a small town that, like, you find yourself hanging out with kids because there's so few of them, kids that you would never hang out with if you had options, right? You're like, I don't know. You might be the kid that people hung out with because they didn't have options. <laughs> when I was growing up, there was, there was a kid named Brian, and he was, like, five years older than me, and I'd hang out with his little brother, and, and he would be around our little crew, uh, there in Randolph, Kansas, and at first he was he was kind of a, a little weakling. Um, he growing up he he was small and he got picked on and he had he had anger issues um, for whatever reason. And, and then he hit this growth spurt, and so somewhere in high school, like he just got huge. And you're like, oh no, how did you get big? Because he still had anger issues. He had he had some social problems. He just did not interact well with people. And, and so. We, uh, we had lots of encounters with this guy. I remember one time, just to put it in perspective, this is how weird our relationship was. One time, it was like 11 o'clock on a Friday night. This is my pre-Jesus days. One time, it was raining outside. It was crazy. Uh, the weather was crazy. We had co-accident. We had we'd tried to convince him to go outside for something. He did. We locked the door behind him, and then we just laughed about it. We had no supervision or whatnot, and, and we thought, boy, this is really going to get him. And then we heard knocking on a window three stories up as he climbed the guttering in the middle of a thunderstorm and then broke through the attic window and then chased us around. Uh, just, just like that was one of, uh, of a bunch of examples of just how weird our relationship was. Well, one day, we were playing basketball outside out on the street, and, and we did this a lot. And he just happened to be there, and we knew he, he played prison rules, so like when we were going to fight at some point. We knew it was like hockey slash basketball. We were, we were going to fight. And my dad, he was, he's a calm dude. He's a good dude. But he was over uh, in our yard watering the flowers and stuff. We had a big flower bed. And so we were playing basketball out there, and things were going good. And then Brian, he goes nuts on us, and he starts beating us to a pulp. And I just happen to be close to him, so he grabs onto me, and he's just going off on me. And you know once he gets a hold of you, like all we could do is run, but once he gets a hold of you, like you're just going to get beat for a while. Well, I'm getting beat. And out of nowhere, I see my dad, who worked a long day. He was out there just watering, 50-something-year-old man. I see my dad come sprinting down the street, not an aggressive man, sprinting down the street, yelling things at this kid that I would have never thought I would hear out of his mouth. Everyone was just completely surprised. We all looked over there. Even Brian looked over and we're like, uh-oh. And things probably came out of his mouth that shouldn't have. And before you know it, my dad's chasing this kid down the street. And I remember my friends and I were just like, well, this is weird. But it's also kind of cool. 
You see, I love the fact that if this kid was going to have anything to do with me, I, he had, there's a go-between now. There's someone representing me. And see, my dad, as a good daddy, repre- he, he knew that when something was broken, when something was wrong, he's going to provide a different way. And so Old Testament priests were there for a reason and a purpose to show that human priests could not do ultimately what Jesus came to do. And so tonight as we talk about Jesus as our great high priest, I want you to think about whether you are experiencing the full blessings of what it means for him to be your high priest. This can be very practical if we let it. So we're going to jump in tonight. If you have a Bible, feel free to open it. Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14. I think that kid mellowed out, by the way, but. All right, we're going to cover the rest of chapter 14 in in this short passage. The author says, since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Okay, so here, right off the bat, the author's saying, now picture you being a Hebrew. Like, that's, if you grew up in a Catholic background and some punk kid like me comes in and says, we don't need priests anymore, like, that's going to hit you hard. Picture being uh, in the Jewish faith, being a Hebrew, opening this letter, and the author says, Jesus is our great high priest now. That's going to tick some people off. But it shows that he's different than the other high priest because he passed through the heavens. So this is, this is not your ordinary high priest. So it says we can be confident to hold fast to our confession. Like you don't have to go anywhere. You don't have to hide. You, you can be confident. Verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So there's a couple key words there. Number one, weaknesses. When you think weakness, you think that something's imperfect. And so how can Jesus, if he's man, how can he be perfect and yet have weakness, right? And so keep in mind that weakness doesn't always mean our propensity to give into sin or the fact that we give into sin. Sometimes weakness, and in this context, weakness means Jesus' ability to not experience sin, but to feel human frailty. Mankind is weak just in that we experience hunger, we get tired, we experience what it means to be broken. And so Jesus, even though he is yet without sin, even though he's God, he's perfect, he came and experienced what you and I do with the exception of sin. It also says that in every respect he has been tempted. So you might stand there some nights. You might feel like your world is crumbling. You might feel like everything is falling apart and that somehow you have managed to get yourself in a place that God can't relate. And the Bible's saying you're wrong. You're wrong. That there's no temptation you have faced. There's no hardship you have stumbled into or got yourself in that Jesus isn't sitting there saying, Let's have a cup of coffee and talk about it. I know what it's like. I know what it's like. In verse 16, let us then with confidence, this is so powerful, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus didn't come here just to be our buddy. He didn't come here just to be a decent priest. He came here to 
bring us into access with the Father, but he's not someone who just gives lip service. He can actually do something about it. He's not just here to offer sacrifices. He is the sacrifice. And so Jesus can give us tangible relief, and he says, you can confidently come to the God. You can confidently come to the Father. So what does this mean? It means Jesus can relate. It means that if you and I are going to depend on our own goodwill with God, our own favor with God, our own ability to impress God somehow or to live up to his standards, we should not have confidence at all. But if we trust in Jesus, the author is saying Jesus is a high priest that you can have confidence in. You can have confidence in Jesus. You see, that's because Jesus has credibility. We all want to trust in people who have credibility. Biblically, forgiveness, mercy, grace, this is something that we give everyone regardless of whether they have credibility. But trust is something that to some degree I think we need wisdom in to put in the right people. You don't just trust everybody blindly, but you have wisdom and discernment. And so someone who has credibility gets that trust. And so if Jesus, he's going to come and say, listen, I could tell you all about how I made you and how you're beautiful and perfect and wonderful, but, you know, you know I'm just going to uh, tell you about it and then go do some stuff for you. We'd be like, oh, great, that's awesome, wonderful. But when he says, I'm going to walk in your shoes, Okay, I'm going to be in the broken places when you're broken. I'm going to feel what you feel. Like all of a sudden, he has some credibility <laughs> to speak into our lives in a way that none of our friends do. None of our friends do. It's been said that the, the, the one who fully, who fully, Resist temptation knows the full extent of its force. Jesus knows the full extent of the force of temptation and still did not give in. Remember, it's not a sin to be tempted, even though the Bible makes it clear that sometimes we're tempted because of our evil desires. Temptation in and of itself is not the sin. It's a gateway to it in many cases. So Jesus has credibility. He walked in our shoes. When I, um, when I planted out in Utah several years ago, uh, we quickly found out it was, it was a lonely place. It was hard to plant a church. God's grace was all over it, and he, he was amazing to us in, in everything out there. But it was a lonely place. And one time um, I heard from a couple of the other church planners, there wasn't many, that someone by the name of Al Moeller was going to come out and speak in Utah. Now, some of you, you, you don't know who Al Moeller is, and that's okay. In, in the evangelical Christian world, he, um, he's one of the many faces that really represents the faith as a whole. He's written a bunch of books. He's the president of a Southern Baptist seminary, uh, kind of just a big dog in, in the Southern Baptist denomination. If there's some key hot-button topic happening out in the world, he's the guy who's going to be on CNN and talking about what Jesus would, would have us do as believers. Um, he just, he's just a face of Christianity. So we heard that he's coming, he's coming to Utah to speak at BYU. 
Brigham Young University. So all, all of these uh, Mormon folks are going to listen to him. And of course, it was big, uh, you know, turmoil. So what, what's this Christian going to say to the, the Mormons? And is it going to be offensive? And there's 10,000 people that are going to be watching this in person and many others online. And so he comes out there and he does that. Now, when he speaks anywhere, he's probably going to draw a crowd of hundreds, if not thousands. But the night after he spoke to all of these folks at BYU, he got some of the Southern Baptist church planners together, and he went to little First Baptist in Provo. You think, well, that's the big Baptist church. It's a Baptist church like 50 people, because only one out of every 200 people in Provo, Utah, are Christians. And so it was cool to be in there and to listen to him speak. Really, it was a room about this size. There's probably 50 of us. And it's like, wow, I was just thinking if we were down south, you know, there would be hundreds and hundreds of people listening to him. But it, it was cool for him to come and encourage us and bring us a message. And then after that, uh, most of the people left. And he said, okay, guys, church planners, you come with me. There's just like 15 or 20 of us. And we went downstairs, and, and we just sat around a table. And he said, listen. He rifled off a couple names of big dogs who, who, who paid our salary and could actually change things if, if needed to be changed. And he said, listen, I'm good friends with those guys. I want you to tell me what you need. I want you to tell me what you need. And I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. And we were just looking at each other like, what? This is good. <laughs> Dangerous. <laughs> For him, but this is good. And so one by one, we go around a table and we're rifling off, man, we need this and this would be a great support and just encouragement. And we're just everything we can think of. And, and it's great. It's great because he has authority. He has connections. He has power. He can actually do something, right? In our minds. And so that night, it was just like, wow, what an honor. Someone who actually can do something is coming and saying how he can relate and he's encouraging us. And it was wonderful. But in the back of all of our minds, as we walked out of there that night, I think all of us were thinking, now is anything actually going to change? Like he, he has authority, but is anything actually going to change? We hear all the stuff about Jesus as our high priest. But Jesus can't just relate to us. He, he's not just an authority. He's not just a go-between. Jesus, when he says, I'm going to give you tangible relief, I'm not just going to relay the message. I'm going to give you grace and mercy. And I'm going to tell you, you can come confidently. You can come boldly and have that grace and mercy. We believe him. Because he can actually do something about it. And we don't have to guess at whether he can do something about it. What's stopping you to come boldly to the throne of God? Is it that we don't feel like he can relate? Or is it that we don't believe the promise that there's grace and mercy for all who believe? Well, I'm not good enough. Well, if he only knew what I've been, he, he can relate. He knows the hearts of men and women. You see, the bad news is that you and I, as you probably know, will never, ever, by our own strength, be able to measure up to where we can get access to the Father on our own good deeds. But the good news is that he does, and he is perfect. When I went to preach in Hutch a few weeks ago, man, I, I was nervous, but I was excited. I'd never been on a big stage like that and seen, you know, the, the, the backstage stuff. And I've always wondered, like, what's it like to be backstage, right? 
And so I remember I went backstage, and they said, Here, here's your room. It's kind of like a little dressing room. It was tiny. It was a little cracker box. But, man, like free bottled water. It was there, and it just blew me away. They're like these little tiny bottles. Probably cost five bucks for them to sock it. And I was like, what? We get free water? And I remember there was a bathroom there. And I thought, we got our own bathroom? Like, this is crazy. I loved enjoying the blessing of that. Wonderful. Used the bathroom like two times the whole weekend. It was amazing. But then it crossed my mind. I'm only here because they think I have something to offer when I preach. And I haven't preached yet. So what if I go out there and blow it? If I do, I ain't coming back to them. That's a sick feeling to know in the eyes of your friends, maybe family, maybe loved ones, to know that if you blow it, you might not have some of the blessings that you have right now. That is a sick feeling in our stomach. But with Jesus, we don't ever, ever, ever have to worry about that. Because our confidence comes because of his work on the cross, not our work. And that changes everything. There's freedom there. Chapter 5. There's a lot packed in these verses. We're going to cover a big chunk here. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward, since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, He is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So Aaron, we're talking about uh, Moses' brother, um, the Levites, those who were the high priest or could only come um, from that line that Aaron was. Verse 5, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten. You remember that's a quote from Psalm, talking about a Davidic prophecy, Jesus as king through the line of David. As he says also in another place, also Psalms, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Let's stop. Let's talk about this for a while. Jesus is the better priest. So what we're doing here, we're talking about human priests. The author is bringing up what a human high priest is like and what Jesus as high priest is like. Now, I want to hit the very end of this first because it doesn't make sense. We're going to jump into this whole Melchizedek thing uh, in, a, in a few weeks. And it's complicated, and we're just going to jump in and tackle it at another time. But here's what you need to know is here we're referring to high priest through the line of Aaron. So the author saying that Jesus is high priest through the line of Aaron. If you're a high priest, you're not king. You're not anything else. You're just high priest. But then by talking about this, these two um, quotes from Psalms, he's also bringing in the fact that Jesus is king in the line of David. So Jesus isn't just a high priest. Jesus is the king. And so there's no one who's both high priest and king but Jesus. That makes him a better kind of both high priest and king. So, let's talk about some things here. 
human high priest and Jesus as a high priest. Let's talk about some of the similarities here. All right, we're going to walk through some similarities and then some differences. Number one, uh, and we'll rifle through the similarities pretty quickly. Both were appointed by God. So it says in there in, in verse one that high priests on earth, they're only appointed by God. So it's, they're coming from men, but they, they're coming from God's hand. God's saying, I want that person. Jesus, in the same way, appointed by the Father, didn't appoint himself. Next, both intercede for the people. We've talked about that. They also, both human priest and Jesus, can relate to the hurting people that they intercede for. That's a key. That's a good thing. And then last but not least, they both offered sacrifice or sacrifices. So both of them are priests. Great. Jesus is a high priest, human high priest. Wonderful. Makes sense. But there's some key differences that change everything. So let's talk about those. First, one came from among men. That would be human priest. The other one came from heaven. So Jesus, he passed through the heavens, as we saw in verse 14 of chapter 4. He passed through the heavens. So that's kind of a big deal. If, if a human priest is just a human, but Jesus became man, but is also God, he's kind of a different, different type of priest. Kind of a big deal. One relates to sinners by sin. One is perfect but tempted. So he's saying, uh, the author's saying here in verses 2 and 3 that priests, human priests, high priests, they can relate to the people that they intercede for because they themselves are beset with weakness. Uh, they themselves struggle. So they got to offer sacrifices for themselves. It's easy when we're both struggling with the same thing. Like we can relate to each other a little bit. But Jesus, he's a little different because he's perfect, even though he's tempted. He doesn't give in to it. So he is without sin. That changes the whole sacrifice we'll get to in a second. Another major difference is one needed sacrifice and one was the sacrifice. So as a high priest here on earth, you can offer sacrifice for the people, but you're also offering it for yourself because you're a broken man just like they are. Jesus, on the other hand, did not need sacrifices for himself. He's the, only, he's the only one who has ever been perfect. On the other hand, Jesus, because he's perfect, became the sacrifice. Two completely different things. Hugely important. One, human priest, sacrificed continually. One, sacrificed once for all. We'll get to it in chapter 10, uh, a ways down. But here's the bottom line. If you are an Israelite, if you in the Old Testament, you've got priests offering sacrifices for you, even the high priest who would offer on the Day of Atonement once a year, they would say, we're going to atone for all the sins here in the community. They, they, they did all of these things. They, they offered sacrifices for sins and for gifts to God, all kinds of stuff. But guess what? They did it relentlessly over and over and over and over and over. Think about the Jewish people right now. Do they have a temple? ain't got no temple. It was destroyed. 30 plus years after Jesus died and was resurrected, they ticked off the Roman Empire. Roman Empire said, Jews were taking away your temple. They demolished it. Hadn't been rebuilt in 2,000 years. For 2,000 years, the Jewish faith, those who don't believe Jesus was the Messiah for whatever reason, those people have been without a way to pay for their own sins. And they are burdened with guilt and misery. They want to build a third temple. But put yourself in that position. 
they offered sacrifices continually, whereas this is so crucial for us. Some of us, this, this might be what we need to hear tonight. Jesus offered once and for all. You see, when God is the sacrifice, when God is perfect, there doesn't need to be another sacrifice. And, and there's people here tonight that deep down they think, okay, listen, I've asked Jesus, I've asked God for forgiveness, but I'm going to go, I'm, I know I'm going to make more mistakes tonight or in the morning. Like we know we are without, or we are with sin. We know we're going to screw up. And so some of us deep down think, what if, what if I, I ask for forgiveness uh, to Jesus right now and he forgives, and I believe he does, but then somehow I die in a tragedy and between now and then I commit another sin. Am I forgiven for that? And the Bible says Jesus died once and for all. That your sins that you haven't even committed, haven't even dreamed, haven't even thought of, they're already forgiven if you are in Christ. You don't have to worry about the next sin as if that's going to somehow push you over the edge. And Jesus be like, you know, I've been reconciling the world to the Father for 2,000 years, but you just did one too many of the things I paid the price for. And that's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. That'll make the chains fall off a heart. One anointed kings and one is the king. So one of the jobs of a high priest in the Old Testament was to anoint a king. So if there's a new king, he's going to say, listen, hey, we're going to have to work together, right? I'm the high priest. You're the king. Uh, kind of different agendas, but we've got to do this together, all right? I'm going to anoint you and say, hey, God's hand, God's blessing on you. Jesus is the king. He's got the blessing. He doesn't need to anoint other kings. And then last but not least, one reigns temporarily. And one is a high priest forever. Jesus will never come down off of the throne, metaphorically speaking. He's coming back. But the throne is his forever. Think about if you had a human priest who was sacrificing for you, but you knew they were kind of jacked up. You would have to worry about their integrity. You'd have to worry about their own sin. You'd have to wonder, like, what if they don't do what I'm hoping they do? What if, I mean, like, putting your faith in mankind is sad. That's sad. And we don't have to worry about the word of God changing. We don't have to worry about anything in the gospel changing. That's beautiful. Now, let me, let me park on this for just a second. Big differences, important. Some might argue now, you might argue, you might say, well, Pastor Ryan, here's the big thing. Listen, if, if there's human priests and there's Jesus as a human who is a priest, I grew up in the Catholic Church, and, and, and you know, all my family's still there, and I'm kind of dabbling in some other stuff. So I, I just, I'm not going to tell them that it's, it's bad to have a human priest. Like, what really is it that bad? I mean, it's basically just like a pastor, but for Catholics, right? The sad thing about having a human priest as we have Jesus as our high priest is not just that they, as human beings, have limitations. Is that they, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, are stealing glory from God. That every time a young man or woman stands in a box and confesses sins to someone who claims to be able to know how to forgive them outside of Jesus Christ on the cross is leading people away from God. And giving them a false sense of security. What a miserable place to live in. I, I, I want to be sensitive because I know some of you come from that background. We're going to love all people. 
but it's not okay to steal glory from God. And we spent two plus years of our lives in, in a place that said, hey, you know what? I think we follow the same Jesus. We believe, by, we believe that we're saved by grace just like you Christians do. But their definition of being saved by grace is we're going to try as hard as we can. And if we can't make it to God, grace will fill in the gap. And I said, Jesus means nothing to you. He either means everything or he means nothing. You can't just do a little bit of your own thing and then use Jesus as the go-between. There, No, he is everything. And it's a miserable world because then if you don't, if you say, you know what, I believe Jesus will cover the stuff that I can't do on my own, then when is good enough enough? When is good enough enough? It never is because it was never something that we could do. And we find ourselves missing out on the blessings of Jesus. That's a big deal. What's even sadder? Now let's talk to, to the Protestants in the room. What's even sadder is that some of us, some of us have sought out priests from one another in ways that we didn't even think we were doing. That we're using other people in our lives as conduit between us and God in ways that we maybe never realized we were doing. You want to know what the Protestant Reformation 500 years ago, you want to know part of the heartbeat behind it? Was that in Catholicism, they had priests teach the word of God to the people and not wanting the word of God to be in the hands of the people. And Martin Luther and some other dudes said, the word of God is for everybody and mankind should be able to open this book and, and interpret it for themselves. And yet there's still some of us here today who the only time we hear the word of God is when some punk preacher like me gets up and opens it. Well, I just trust the pastor is going to teach me the right stuff. Well, I trust that too. But don't forsake the fact you open this thing on your own. Don't forsake the fact that everything I say up here, you need to be able to open up your Bible and say, I'm going to test what he said against what's actually true, hoping that what he said is actually true. Some of us are crushed more than we should be crushed when moms and dads and friends move away from us who helped us to follow Jesus and are poured into us, taught us about Jesus, helped us to understand Jesus and his love and his grace and mercy, and then they move away or we move away from them or something happens to where we're not connected to those people and all of a sudden our walk with Jesus falls apart. Christian community can hide a lot of idolatry. And it's true that you and I should be encouraging each other to follow Jesus, pointing each other to Jesus all day long. But if you find yourself then isolated from community and your walk with God and your walk with Jesus falls apart, it might not have been Jesus you were drawing strength from. It was a bunch of friends. I don't say this so that we stop getting together and encouraging each other certainly not but sometimes we find ourselves in the midst of community and say i'm thriving and then that community's gone and we wonder do we have anything in jesus when everything else is taken away it should hurt when loved ones move away or you move away or something happens that separates you it should hurt 
Because love is love. Love hurts sometimes. But if you find that you are really dependent on them to be what only Jesus can be, then you put a burden on their shoulders that they never should have had. When I, was first, when, when I first was told about Jesus, I was 18 years old, and I dated this girl, and she followed Jesus, and I took her and said, let's not follow Jesus anymore. Uh, I didn't say that, but that's what I was doing. And so I, I, I kind of wrecked her life, honestly. As a non-believer, I, we, we just went astray together. And her parents, by the grace of God, they, they were praying for their daughter, and they were praying for me, and, and they would talk to me about God. And I was 18, and I was angry, and I was bitter, and, and I was headed to jail soon, and I just had so much uh, resentment build up towards God, and they would take me to church, and they would, they, would, they would put me in position to hear the word of God, and they would have me ask questions if I had questions, and I would, and, and they would tell me all this stuff about Jesus. Like, they, they were the ones who, who really helped me eventually place my faith in Jesus, but you know what? I loved it. And then one day they said, we're moving to Iowa. Now, I wasn't dating their daughter anymore. That whole thing was long gone, but they had still poured into me like crazy. I didn't know what it was like to go to church without being picked up and driven by them, right? So one day, they moved to Iowa. I moved to Hutchinson. They knew this day was coming. I hoped it it wouldn't. And all of a sudden, I found myself alone, and I didn't know anything about how to follow Jesus if they weren't there to tell me. And what I found out really quick was that I wasn't really following Jesus. I was following them. And it wasn't because that's what they wanted. They were pointing me to Jesus, but I wanted them. Sometimes the healthiest thing that can happen to you is to be alone. Sometimes the healthiest thing that can happen to us is to be alone. Because when we're alone, it exposes the inner parts of our heart. You can't get away from yourself. Some of us can't stand to be alone because we don't want to be around ourselves. Sometimes the best thing is for us to be alone and let the idols be exposed. And we'll find out the relationships around us that could have been used for the glory of God and we thought they were, were really us trying to find high priests in the people around us. I only follow Jesus when I'm with them. I only go to church when I'm with them. They're on vacation, so I'm not going to church this Sunday. Our Bible study stopped, so I haven't read the Word of God since that. Are you making someone else your priest? Last but not least, The author says, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Read that one again. We talk about God hearing us. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. 
Last but not least, we see that only Jesus saves. Now, there's a couple key words we got to hit on here. Number one, where is it at? Now I'm searching for it. Reverence. That means respect. And some of your Bibles might say reverent submission. So here's what the author's saying, that Jesus, he's God, he's the son of God, he's sent, he's perfect, lots of wonderful things going for him. You want to know what the father hears him? For the father hears him because he, even though he's the son of God, submitted himself and his heart saw the father for who he is. And he said, I can't do this. Like I'm, I need you. I respect you. I see you for all of your beautiful glory. And I'm just going to submit to it. I could, we could teach on that one verse alone as to how God wants us to approach him. And then this other thing we got to talk about, and it says, and being made perfect. So again, if it says being made perfect, does that mean that Jesus was somehow not perfect, right? Well, oftentimes in scripture, the use of the word perfect actually means completed or finished. In other words, Jesus being sent by the Father, he was perfect the entire time, has always been, will always be. But in order to complete what the Father sent to him, he had to experience things. And so him coming here and walking among us and experiencing our junk, he was completed, he was finished, he was made perfect. And then he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Now, see, listen, <laughs> doesn't this sound good? Like, I, I could just say, hey, we could do this stuff, right? We could, we could, I mean, listen, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Like, we could do that, you and I, we get together, we could be like, God, we need you, we want you, we recognize only you can save, uh, you're the only one who can save us from death. We could do that, and we could do it with respect and submission to God. We could do it just like Jesus, right? And then he was a son, but he learned obedience through what he suffered. And so you and I, we, we can learn obedience through what we suffer, right? We can go through the valley and oh boy we could just learn so much right as we're sacrificing we could do that but jesus when he does that becomes the source of eternal salvation for all of us you see because when jesus does that he's perfect he's the spotless lamb so his sacrifice means something i could die for you and that might be a nice gesture but it doesn't do anything for you your favorite pastor could die for you, might be stupid on his part, still doesn't do anything for you. Because broken people dying for broken people does nothing. But a perfect God dying for broken people is the perfect sacrifice. And it changes everything. It changes everything. So, here, here listen you might wonder as you read this, you might say, well, if he was heard, so Jesus before his death is crying out to God, if he was heard because of his reverence, why didn't God the Father save him from the cross? Why didn't God, I mean, so what does that mean? He heard, well, we know sometimes God answers prayers differently than how we want him to. We also know that he answers prayers uh, here, um, but we're still wanting it to be answered here. And so here's the bottom line. Jesus, when he cries out to the Father, is heard and answered by the Father, but the Father doesn't answer Jesus according to the pain he might experience. He's answering Jesus according to his plan for the pain that's in the world. The, the answer for Jesus is not, I'm going to withhold the pain of the cross. The answer is, you will be victorious in the resurrection. 
Because it wasn't just about Jesus' pain, it was about our pain going away. And so when you and I, when we do this, <laughs> when we do this and we trust in him, when we go through hard times and we go all the way down in the valley, God lets us go through the suffering so that we see Jesus is the only way, the only way we will be brought and have access to the Father so that we can walk in the footsteps of Jesus in the resurrection, that we have this eternal hope that one day when we die, it's not going to be death and then separation, that it is eternity with God. You see, that is further than any human priest can ever take you. That's something that only the spotless lamb can walk you into. You can follow the steps of someone here on earth all day long, but they can only lead you to death. Jesus leads us to and through life. That's further than anybody here on earth can take us. I, I, I want to say this um, because I think there's a lot of us who are suffering and sacrificing for those around us because we want to make disciples of them, because we have loved ones who are depending on us. And, and so we've talked about how we can't be our own priest, even though we are called a priesthood of believers. We've talked about how we seek priests and other people, and we shouldn't do that. But, but the third one is that we shouldn't be anybody else's priest. And I think some of us have great intentions tonight, uh, but we have heartache because we're pouring into other people. We're sacrificing for other people. We're calling out on behalf of other people to God, and we're trying to pour into them. And we come back and we say, listen, what do I do with this situation? And, and this, it's so hard, and I, now things have changed, and there's some more drama this week, and I just don't know the next step, and we're just wore out and broken. Because we took the good intention of making disciples and what ended up happening was we bought into the lie that we should be Jesus for people. You hear it all the time. Just be Jesus to them. We're the hands and feet of Jesus. No, only Jesus is Jesus. And there doesn't need to be another sacrifice. And although we're going to lay down our lives willingly and freely because of the gospel, we don't need to do what only Jesus can do. And some of us are working hard for the sake of other people. And we don't even know it, but they're looking at us as their priest. It's our job to make sure we're pointing to the sacrifice that matters. That we're pointing those people to Jesus. And I'm telling you what, this will sneak up on you and you won't even realize it. You won't even realize it. I remember, I could give you several examples of this, because I've made this mistake many times, but, but I'll give you one. When we were in Nebraska, we had been meeting as a house church for probably six months, and then we started meeting in this old Verizon Wireless building, and we set up shop, and we were meeting for Sunday worship, and people were coming in for the first time. It's a small thing, 15, 20, 25 people, and, and so people are introduced to this, uh, you know, for the first time. And so I'm up there preaching my little heart out, and I'm trying to point people to Jesus. And, and the, a couple ladies who had been disengaged, disenfranchised from the, the local church for years and years and years, they came one Sunday. Well, they liked what they heard. The following Sunday, they came back. That following Sunday just happened to be the Sunday that I announced to them, hey, I know I've only been here a couple months, but me and my wife were going to move to Salina, Kansas. Now, the ones who had been with us the whole time, they were just like, do what God tells you to do. Sad to see us go, but they got it. That night, though, one of these ladies called me up and was crying and was saying, keep in mind, only met her twice. But that day when I was preaching, I was talking about my anxiety disorder, blah, 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 and she could relate somehow, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, she calls me up that night, 
And she says, I'm not sure if you're hearing from God correctly because I'm pretty sure God told me today when you were preaching that you were going to be the one to save me from my anxiety I've struggled with my whole life. Tell you what, you're going to have two very distinct feelings when you hear that. One is going to be the enemy saying, oh, lift you up, young man. That's going to be pride that you got to nix. The other one is a pastor's heart that made my heart just sink and was an indictment on my preaching and on my leadership that this person thinks somehow I can do for them what only Jesus can do. And so I made it very clear to her that night. All we do is point to Jesus. He is the Savior. He's the one who can fix your anxiety. You might like my smiling little red-bearded face up there preaching it, but I can't do anything for you. But sometimes that's hard for people to hear because we get so used to finding our priests and other people. Are you pouring into somebody that you started to with good intentions? And if you walked away right now, that they would fall apart because you became Jesus to them? It's sneaky how quick it happens. But as disciple makers, when we serve and sacrifice and love people, we've got to make sure that we point them every step of the way to Jesus and not ourselves. Because if you serve someone and love them like Jesus, but don't point to Jesus, you will unintentionally steal the glory. Because if somebody does a good deed for someone else and they don't say, no, this is God in me that makes me want to do this, who are they going to give the glory to? If you don't tell them where the glory is going, who are they going to give the glory to? Here's the bottom line as we wrap this up. As you leave here tonight, I hope you have freedom knowing that Jesus being our high priest means that we don't need to work hard and access God on our own. Matter of fact, we can't. It means that we don't have to try to find a high priest or someone who can really help us out spiritually from someone around us, even though Christian fellowship and discipleship is needed and commanded. That we don't have to be Jesus or a priest for anybody else because we can't do and don't want the burden of doing what only Jesus can do. And the high priest that is Jesus, the perfect high priest that is Jesus, means we can rest assured with freedom that imperfect people have perfect access to a perfect father, not because of anything that those imperfect people have done, but because of everything that perfect Savior did on a cross. Jesus is our high priest means we rest in his finished work. You could preach that to yourself every day and the chains would keep on falling off. And the more that we rest in what only Jesus can do, the more we can freely love each other and not put burdens on each other, our hopes and dreams on each other, our, our desires that none of us were meant to bear. The more you find yourself trusting Jesus to be enough, no matter how lonely that might feel, 
the more you will realize he is always more than enough. Let's pray.